0: And welcome in to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. Today we have a special guest. We have Duncan Evans of the Detroit Tigers. Duncan, welcome in.
1: Thanks for having me. Um, it's my first go at this, so I appreciate you having me on.
0: All right. Yeah. I you know I talked to you earlier this spring, um, kind of just talking about sports PT in general. Um, for but those of you who don't know who you are, why don't you give a little bit of background about yourself?
1: Sure. So I'm originally from Marietta, Georgia, which is just a little bit northwest of Atlanta, um, about 30 minutes away. went to high school at a private school called Mount Perrin over in West Cobb. Um, there I went to undergrad, Georgia College and State University in Milledgeville. Um, I was an exercise science major there, and all into to the summer between junior and senior year, I pretty much wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach. And then I was looking at uh, D1 football internships, and I remember thinking to myself, like, man, These guys are all super intense, and they all can grow really nice facial hair, and I'm kind of calm and mild-mannered, and I can't really grow a beard. Maybe I should start looking for a different career path. I'll actually never forget it because I was watching. It was an interview with Scott Cochran, who was the the strength and conditioning coach with Alabama at the time, and he was doing like a, a news interview for their new football facility, and he was just having a conversation with the news guy. And he'd go from like just normal volume, like normal demeanor to like screaming at the top of his lungs in the middle of the sentence. And I was like, oh man, like this is not it for me. Uh, So yeah, that that ended in me having to take like basically 12 hours my senior, uh, final senior semester instead of like the three that I needed to graduate. But that's when I switched to PT. I started, uh, you know, shadowing at some local clinics and you know, up until then, I'd been like, man, I don't want to work with the hurt people. Like, give me the healthy people. But I actually kind of realized that working with the hurt people is much more of a challenge and much more rewarding. So from there, I went to the University of Florida for physical therapy school, uh, like yourself. And I finished there in 2016. From there, I went to Greenville, South Carolina, for a residency in sports medicine. Uh, at the time, it was ProAxis, but essentially, I was there during the transition from ProAxis to ATI, which is what it is now. Um, so, got my SCS through the residency program and then stuck around there to do the upper uh, extremity athlete fellowship. And that took me to the Kansas City Royals for a year. and from there and went to the Tigers, and I've been there ever since. I'm going into my third season with them.
0: Gotcha. And so after graduating from UF and the great Dr. Bialoski, um, what kind of drew you to yeah. doing a, a, a sports residency um, and why ATI's program, or I guess is program in particular?
1: <clears throat> well, I don't know if, uh, if the clinical affiliation is still intact with UF, but when I was there, um, one of the rotations was to go out uh TMI sports medicine in Arlington with Dr. Meisters group. He's the team position for the Texas Rangers. And I, I was actually lucky enough to get that rotation. Um so me and like three of my best friends went lived in downtown Dallas for eight weeks. And I was actually lucky enough to get Regan Wong as my CI at the time. He was just a consultant PT. He's now the big league head PT for the Rangers and like from day one, I was like, oh man, this is it. This is this is perfect for me. This is what I want to do. And so pretty much from there on out, it was like every career decision I made was was based on like, how can I get to this point? So when I was looking at residencies, obviously uh, Chuck Figpen and Ellen Shanley pretty much run the residency and fellowship programs at ATI. They've got a really strong connection with Major League Baseball, especially with the uh, Colorado Rockies. Uh, they've worked with Dr. Noonan for probably about as long as I've been alive. And, um, you know, there are a couple other ones I applied for that had MLB affiliations, but the second that I was accepted for ProAxis slash ATI, I was like, yeah, thanks, but I've already accepted somewhere else. So that was what drew me in and what kept me there, and it worked out for me.
0: Gotcha, and then so kind of transitioning from residency to fellowship. Um, obviously you graduate with like an SCS after residency, but what made you want to go even further and do upper extremity athlete, um, the the fellowship in particular?
1: Um, just the exposure to baseball. Um, so like I I guess I should go back a little bit. I finished my residency, and then you know the fellowship starts right after, and I was like, I'm not going to try to be studying for my scs in the middle of spring training so i basically worked for that first cycle and just in the same clinic i was at with ati and then did the fellowship the following cycle um just because that would have just you kind of know your limits and like know when something's going to stress you out too much like being in a whole new setting with a whole new team and whole new people and then also trying to manage spring training which is you know basically 12 plus hour days and studying for your scs it's like that sounds like it might be a little bit much to bite off let's just take it one step at a time um so yeah i i worked for a full year in between those two things residency and fellowship but um i think i just knew that i knew the history of the fellowship i knew the track record of former fellows and You know, Chuck and Ellen have a big family tree in Major League Baseball. And I was like, if this is really what I want to do, this is the best way that's available to me to to do it. And it was well worth the time and effort. And, uh, yeah, it was a great experience.
0: Right. And so what out of those experiences, either the residency or fellowship, do you think helped best prepare you to kind of work in that professional setting? Obviously, you have experience during both of those. But is there anything else in particular that – you know, felt got you most ready to work at professional baseball?
1: Yeah, I mean, they're both very different, right? Because, you know, the SCS is the the residency per se. At the end of the day, it's still, you know, it's a program that's designed to get you to pass a test, kind of like PT school is. So it's it's very broad. It's very general. And a lot of that stuff's important, Um, even in my day-to-day now, like, you know, you'll see some weird stuff that aren't just shoulders and elbows in baseball, like more so, more often than not. Um, so it's good to kind of get that, you know, broad base of athletic injury stuff, especially like the acute injury management things that you're not exposed to in school. integumentary uh, issues like uh, things that just kind of walk into the training room, that kind of stuff is all super important. And you don't get that in fellowship, you get that in residency. Um, so I would say the the pros and cons, or I guess the pros of the residency were more of just like a general, like how to treat athletes, general, how to handle this, how to handle that, things you haven't been exposed to before. And uh, just learning how to treat patients, you know? Cause like when you first graduate from school, like you think you know everything in the world and then you get a full caseload and you're like, wow, I know a lot less than I thought I did. So just repetition and high volume exposure to those, uh, those types of patients. Um, I mean, I couldn't get that, you know, just going and working out on my own. And then the fellowship, uh, you know, working with local uh, little league programs, high school baseball programs, uh, division two baseball programs, uh, more exposure to baseball coaches and like how to communicate with coaches and parents and, you know uh, other stakeholders that aren't just the player um and then obviously the you know 70 something percent of my caseload was all shoulder and elbow stuff throwing programs return to play progressions like for position players that kind of stuff so i would say that was kind of the 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 icing on the cake whereas the residency was more the the white cake
0: part (laughs) so i want to talk a little bit more about um that, I guess, icing on the cake during your fellowship, where you said talking to people other than the players who are also stakeholders, obviously, like Mm -hmm. position head coaches and parents. Um, So what's one important thing when, you know, discuss when talking to a patient's parents or their coaches um, to kind of make sure that the communication is, everyone is on the same page. Sure.
1: Um, And you know, everyone has different experiences than I. I think coaches are a lot easier to talk to than parents. That's why, like, for me, it gets easier and easier. The the older the people get, like the kids I'm working with are all adults. And so it's not so much having to convince their parents anymore. It's just talking to their coaches. And at my level, coaches are very respecting of medical uh, advice and to kind of I've never really had an issue with uh, with anyone in kind a of coaching staff uh, position regardless of what organization or where I was at in my career um, the parents can be tricky especially depending on where you're located geographically obviously you, you're in the south like myself year-round baseball is everywhere and everyone thinks that if their kid throws every single showcase then you know they're going to be the next you know kid to get a college scholarship or to Get drafted out of high school, and unfortunately, it's just not the case. And by overexposing their kids to these showcases, oftentimes they're doing more harm than good. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing to come to overcome, like early in your career, I guess, is just learning how to to talk parents off the ledge and how to communicate with them. Um, and then it, once you can do that, talking to coaches just comes naturally. You can talk to a parent, you can talk to anyone. The only thing right. the only thing that's different is like the vernacular they use in their vocabulary.
0: Yeah, I, I saw a post recently about um if a ten year old high school player is throwing more pitches than an MLB player, do you really think they're doing them any good when MLB MLB players are getting rest while your kid is still throwing, you know, hundreds of hundreds of pitches a year? Right.
1: Yeah. It happens.
0: All right. So kind of going a little bit more uh back, when you're kind of working with an athlete and you've been rehabbing with with them for a long time uh how do you kind of make sure that they are best prepared to enter like to get back onto the field and continue to play Uh, especially after like obviously in baseball tommy john's like a huge surgery um with something that daunting how do you make sure that you've done everything to kind of make sure they are psychologically and physically ready to return to field
1: Um, Well, you know, it's really like a team approach. I wouldn't say that anyone holds like the keys to making those final decisions entirely, right? Um, It's a collaborative thing. Um, We we have a great strength and conditioning staff and I have all the trust in the world with them. And honestly, what they do in there with them is in my eyes more important than what I do in the training room with them. So, you know, we do have some... I don't want to call them proprietary but we do have like some some metrics and things that we we look at and some objective tests obviously you know it's a little bit hard for us overhead athlete people we don't have like the litany of research like people who are just dealing with acls all day do to say like you know if you don't pass this test chances of you know issue or this much higher etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's there's a little bit more art than there is science but there there still are some ways you can hedge your bets and um, really for me, <clears throat> the biggest test is once they get out to say 120 feet in their throwing program, usually if they're going to kick back at all, it usually happens around that distance, like 105 to 120. Um, but if they get back to that distance and they're looking pretty good, you can kind of, you know, clear cool jets a little bit and be like, okay, they really were ready. Like I thought they were like, this is, everything's going fine. Um. So I don't know if that answers your question fully, but that's kind of the the eye test that we use uh, in conjunction with some, some objective stuff earlier on down the road.
0: Right. And I asked that question in particular for you, knowing that you work in baseball and knowing that the research is a little bit more limited for upper extremity athletes because those numbers are just not there like they are for ACL rehab or, you know, lower extremity rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of speaking a little bit more on the research, you know, as you're working, um in season or out of season i'm sure you're very busy so how do you kind of balance making sure you stay up to date on literature as well as practicing and then also just doing regular life things
1: <clears throat> that's a good question um i'm a big fan of oh, let me look at my phone and see what it's called because i feel like it's changed names it is red the, the app red by qxmd i believe
0: Are you familiar Mm-hmm. Yeah, I use that one. as well. Yeah. One. so
1: I mean, it basically like you can put in, you, it just basically pools PubMed for, you can put in journals that you like to read, you can put in keywords and then it pools them and you know, you'll get little alerts. I honestly use that more than anything else, um, just because it's quick, I can have it on my phone. Like, if there's some downtime, I'm outside, not inside, I can just, you know, look at my phone. If I see an article that I think looks relevant to the player I'm working with, I'll just send it to my email and download it when I get back in um that's the biggest thing that i use um i also i I am pretty active and by active i mean i just lurk around and read what other people are saying on twitter um so yeah i'm very selective of who i follow on twitter but uh there are some good ones that will put out good stuff you know relatively frequently so i would say twitter and uh red are my two big ones
0: Yeah, I I love using red um, especially because I put in topics that I'm interested in or I currently have patients with, you know, certain pathologies and I can kind of enter those keywords and kind of every day kind of try to check and see if there's something new. Oh, not every day, but every once in a while, kind of see if there's something new that can be beneficial for my patients. Right. Kind of going along with that, uh, obviously in residency and fellowship, you learn about like higher level rehab, but what else would you recommend for, you know, people that are getting into sports PT for learning more about sp- like higher level return to sport rehab. Um, cause obviously in PT school, you're, you're put out as a generalist or how did you go about learning about getting a person ready com- completely to get back to return to play?
1: Um, you mean like outside of like a structured residency or fellowship program? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, when I was with the Royals for fellowship, uh, I hung out with their strength staff a good bit and just kind of watched from afar what they do and how they operate. Um, in terms of in terms of like your basics, like your blocking and tackling, uh, you know, shoulder range of motion is obviously important. Um, if you look at some literature, like it's been put up by Kevin Wilk and that group, you know, they'll say 170 to 180 degrees of total arc with the scapula stabilized. I personally have never found that to be replicable for me. If they can get like 155 to 160 degrees before the scapula moves, um, I'm happy with that. And Based on their humeral torsion, if they have roughly five degrees more ER on their dominant side versus their non-dominant side, I'm happy with that. That's, that's a big one for me. If they have say, you know, a 25 degree uh, humeral torsion difference, and their dominant throwing arm is not laying back like further than their non-dominant one. To me, that's, that's a big issue. Um, and then cross body motion is also very important. So like my kind of litmus test is, can they get 10 degrees past the horizontal? Uh, we'll also test their strength. I I'm not going to test like everything in the world. Like some people do like keep it simple E R I R at your side, E R I R at 90. And then scaption, um, from the, like top of the brachium um and i like those to be obviously within some degree of symmetry but really what i care more about is the er to ir ratios i want like 1.08 to 1.10 at the side and then like at least 67 like so 67 percent of their strength going this way compared to that way so for er er to ir 0.67 um that's kind of like when i can you know say okay we'll be fine there are other things that, gotcha. I, that you can look at you know player specific but the, those are the big ones that especially every pitcher is going to be doing with me a number of times
0: gotcha so i wanted to go a little bit more into your role with the tigers so i know you're down here in florida so kind of uh when you're mm-hmm. working with the larger sports medicine team with like the physicians and the strength coaches and those athletic trainers um what's the best way that you can kind of make sure that everyone is on the same page about a certain patient
1: um well it's easy for us because we have you know meetings regularly especially in spring like we'll have a morning meeting and everyone or at least someone from every department will usually be involved um so that you don't really have to facilitate that at all uh now there are occasions when you know you'll see something out on the field that catches your eye that you don't like or that you know players kind of You know moving in a different way and you can tell something's up they don't want to say anything Um, those are the instances when you just bring in the the need to know people and address the player away from everyone else and kind of say hey what's going on like is everything feeling okay etc um but i mean all that stuff it it comes so organically that you know it's kind of hard to like describe how it happens because it just happens you know what i mean Once you do it for a while, then, you know, you don't have to, like, think about it. It just occurs. Uh, And it's not always, you know, one person who's running the show and that stuff. I mean, there's been instances where a pitching coach has come and grabbed me and said, like, hey, can you talk to player XYZ? He was pulling his neck a little bit and trying to stretch his neck out when we were playing catch. Like, I'm just worried about if it's related to something else, blah, blah, blah. So... It just, it, it, when you're with your, when you're in with a team, it kind of just flows organically.
0: Gotcha. All right. I got a couple more questions then we'll get you out here. Duncan um, kind of give us a day in the life of what it's like to be you or uh, any sort of major league professional or professional PT. Well,
1: that's largely dependent upon what time in the season it is. Uh, springs pretty, it's pretty rough. It's all hands on deck. Okay, so in season for me is a little bit different than in season for other PTs in baseball because um, I work 100% out of the uh, spring training facility where a lot of PTs will travel with the team, et cetera. <clears throat> so for me, um, in season, you know, usually depending on the time of year, we'll have our uh, low A team is also running out of Lakeland. And um, historically, we've had two uh rookie ball teams out of lakeland so the rookie ball teams will come in in the morning and we'll kind of do all their prep work And the rehab group generally comes in at the same time as them so you know show up let's say at like seven players start rolling in by eight <clears throat> team stretches usually around 9 45 10 so that first bit is spent you know taking whatever like if you have to do a reval on a player or you know whatever you'll do that first um, and just basically get all your guys who are participating in baseball activities ready to participate in baseball activities. Then they'll go out in the field, um, do all their field work. Then, they, uh, then they're with the strength guys to do all their, uh, their lifts and their conditioning. And then they'll circle back with me at the end and finish the rest of the rehab for the day. So in season, I would say, and it depends because if you have uh, rehab people on assignment with uh, low A It'll be a little bit later in the day because their games don't start till the evening. But generally speaking, in season, in the building by 7, out of the building by 5, unless there's a rehab player pitching in the game that night, then you stay for that game. Um, out of season, uh, it's, a, it's a lot shorter. It's usually like in by 8, 8.30, out by like 1. So, um, yeah, spring is like the the most stressful time of year for everyone. And then it slowly kind of trickles down into the off season. And then once it gets to like Thanksgiving, you're pretty much in the clear.
0: Gotcha. And so is spring training, is it just longer hours, but same kind of day, just a couple, like just more often than not.
1: Yeah. There's just a whole lot of stuff that um, like team physicals, for instance, like that, that takes a full chunk of two to four days. Um, just doing that nothing else but that um and yeah it's just there's a lot of bodies in the building and a lot of stuff that needs to be done there's a very tight schedule and there's not a lot of off days it's just how it is so it's usually from the middle of february to the end of march it's seven days a week you know 12 plus hour days
0: gotcha um so now that you've been working with the tigers for about you know three years um do you have any favorite memories that stand out
1: Oh, man. Um, Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I do. I don't know how, how many of them are, uh, you know, podcast appropriate. (laughs) Uh, Favorite, favorite memories. Um, That's a tough one. I I, honestly, like, I love my job. Like, my job is in my eyes, like the best job you could possibly have. Like, it's, it's, it's much more relaxed than it looks at face value. Um, And, you know, I'm very good friends with all my colleagues and it's like, it's like going to work every day with your best friends. And then at the same time, you just happen to get to treat the best athletes in the world at what they do. So it's like the best of both worlds, right? You you have highly motivated people who want to get back to, to their sport. There's no insurance limitations on their number of visits or whatever. And, you know, you basically just get to hang out with your best friends and do it all together. Um, so it really, every day is like a great memory. <laughs> Per se, I mean, there there are definitely days that are rough, but I would say all in all, it's it's uh, the whole thing is it's just like living in a movie.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, I think that's what we all strive to find in a in a job, no matter what level. Um, yeah. And so, last last question for you, Duncan. Uh, do you have any advice for any aspiring sports PTS, whether they're looking to work in outpatient or in professional, or you know, no matter what stage of their career in, whether they're an undergrad or you know. Early career professionals or still in PT school.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I think if it's it's kind of hard because it's so like sport dependent. I guess if you figure out like what sport you want to to be involved in, like don't discount the fact that you know, like for instance, let's say if I want to be a baseball PT, I don't need to go and just like never look at anything that's not like UCL related. Like, yeah, UCL injuries are a big problem in my sport but i've also seen you know multi-ligament knee injuries i've seen uh compound foot fractures i've seen uh first rib fractures i've seen weird stuff that has nothing to do with the elbow so like those are the things that you might think that you never need to know about but there's always going to like having a, a broad base of Just how to get people better in general is super important because you will see stuff that that you've never seen or never even heard of. And then you'll go to the literature and you'll be like, wow, there's only like two things I can find in here. What am I going to do? So just having like a really strong foundation in blocking and tackling, like what are the meat and potatoes that get people better? is most important because you will get distracted by all the fancy new stuff that you're going to be exposed to all the new machines and this and that. But at the end of the day, like you just have to stick to like your core principles in terms of, you know, what you know is important based on the literature and, you know, your, uh, your experience as a clinician and you kind of have to not verge from the path. So I would say, that's really big now if you're talking like baseball specific things that you could like start focusing on now i would say obviously number one is going to be brushing up on your spanish um it's not absolutely essential but i'm yeah it's it's bad because when i was with kansas city i was like actually getting really good at it and uh then when i was with the tigers it's like I don't know, like we have like four athletic trainers on the minor league side who are all fluent. And so you just get lazy and you're like, hey, tell him this. What did he say? Tell me, tell me what he said. Now you tell him this again. But like, honestly, like you get so much more buy in and respect from your players when you try to communicate with them in their own language. And it it really, really does help. So even if you're if even if your Spanish is terrible, like like Duolingo level Spanish, like that's still enough to to really help you out. Um, other big thing, I guess, is, uh, is, you know, learning how to talk to people that aren't in your, uh, same field. So whether that be athletic trainers, whether it be coaches, whether that be sports science, uh, practitioners, you know, there's so many different people that you have to communicate with on a daily basis that you don't really get that exposure in school per se. Um, so just learning how to, communicate and facilitate with like an interdisciplinary team. um, That's, that's a really huge thing. Cause at the end of the day, like, you know, everyone's hard skills are going to be relatively the same. It's the soft skills and like how you, how you handle people and how you deal with people around you. That's what's going to separate you from the rest of the pack.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Those, those soft skills are one of the things that people have said on this podcast, soft skills aren't really soft skills. They're probably more important than your diagnostic ability or, you know, any other intervention you can do. Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right. Um, well, I don't have any other questions for you, Duncan, but is there anything on social media that you would like to plug or anything that you would like to chat out?
1: Uh, I mean, like I said, I don't really post too much on Twitter, but, um, that is my, the platform I use the most. Um, I think my handle is Dunko 1000 and I, I do get on LinkedIn from time to time. Like, I know how people how tough it is to get into sports and you know there have been times when I've like cold called people and you know it it actually works so like whenever people reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever I always try to you know at least give them a conversation and try to give them some advice if if they need help with something but um, I would say those two platforms are probably the easiest way to get a hold of me if you need me for something
0: yeah absolutely and that's kind of how we got in contact in the first place um while I was in Tampa yeah, during yeah. my fir- my last clinical rotation, I asked, I was asking anybody that was in the area during spring training to see if I could get a shadowing opportunity. Um, and unfortunately, because of COVID, that wasn't available. But you were gracious enough to kind of yeah, COVID man, uh, yeah. But you were gracious enough to kind of talk to me a little bit about your experiences, and um, hopefully, people can learn from our conversation, your experiences today, um, Duncan. This has been a gr- another great episode, um, and I appreciate you coming on. And this has been the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast.
1: Absolutely
0: chose. Thanks again. Huge shout out to UF grad and current Detroit Tigers physical therapist, Duncan Evans, for coming on to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. If you liked what you heard from Duncan or want to hear more episodes from great future guests, please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening.